599, but Isaiah chapter 40. And we will read verses 1 through 11 this morning. And God's word says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Help us now as we engage by your Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to see. Comfort us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In our reading this morning, what John read was about an old man who'd waited all of his life for what the scripture calls the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. Consolation, comfort. Think in terms of somebody, uh, we might say, uh, or see in a movie, or we read in a book, or we hear somebody is just inconsolable. They can't be consoled. They need Comfort. They need to be consoled, but they can't be consoled. Think of that word as you think of a, 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 a phrase that you might think is a theological phrase. It's just an English language phrase. The consolation of Israel. Consoling. He lived all his life. He looked at scriptures. He was waiting to see this comfort come. He said, I can die now. Because I've seen the comfort of Israel. I've seen the light for the Gentiles. I've seen the consolation. What had he seen? He'd seen that baby Jesus, the God-man, God who took on flesh uh, to come and be the consolation, not just of Israel, but the consolation for the whole world. 
keep that in your uh, back of your minds. Keep it under your hat or in your back pocket or whatever our phrase is. Have that. With that as our backdrop, understand that this world is a world in need of comfort. And God says, I will give comfort. This season is wonderful. And it can be wonderfully sad. There are people alone. There are people with regrets. Even believers are not immune to a sadness that seems to happen when the bright lights shine. A godly woman dies. Her son-in-law and others pay tribute to her at a memorial service. Her teenage grandson plays Be Thou My Vision on the piano, which is what she requested as she knew she was dying. People joke about how she arrived in heaven looking for God to put her to work organizing something. They remind those at the memorial service about this woman's favorite portion of scripture, which was Mark Mark 14, 6 through 8, where the woman came and and anointed Jesus, and and, uh, people uh, criticized her, and Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done what she could. And they memorialize her with those words, leave her alone. She's done what she could. Others recall special ways which she made them feel loved. The entire service which she planned was a reminder that there's something greater and more real than this life. It's a reminder of Jesus and forgiveness of sins and of an eternal home on high which she arrived at. And that family is strong in their Christian faith. And there wasn't a lot of weeping. There wasn't excessive joy. There was just a a beautiful matter-of-factness of of life and death and eternal life. But do you know that family needs comfort? That family still needs comfort? There will be a meal. Grandma won't be there. And there's a hole left on this earth, even with those Christians, those those of us who, who know what's in store. Family is in need of consolation. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. There's a Christian social worker, a young woman, who sees hard things and who helps people through hard things. She's asking for prayer. She tries to communicate along with medical doctors to four children from the same immigrant family that they have a disease that will most likely end their lives by the time they're in their 20s. Parents do not speak English. The children do not fluently know the language of their refugee parents. It's overwhelmingly sad for this social worker in addition to the feeling of helplessness. And that's only one family on her caseload. And she's questioning her own where she fits with God. Trying to make a comeback. And she's a woman in need of God's consolation. She needs comfort. 
She needs this word, comfort, comfort my people. An older couple, pastor who's mostly retired, filling a pulpit in a little church, reunites with a couple that had been in their church 40 years ago. And these two older couples start talking about whatever happened to the little kids that were running around that they used to babysit each other and all of that. And, and this pastor and his wife are talking about uh, their kids and they spend more time on the ones that are living for the Lord and they kind of brush past one of them. And when they comes back to how is so-and-so doing, and even though they're joyful and they're on their way to heaven and they live a profitable life, there's a sadness there. They say, oh, he's a good kid, but he's made some choices, and he's, he's made bad choices, and he's having to live with them. And there's some sadness. And this couple needs some comfort. They need the consolation of the Lord. There's a younger adult who feels like the world and God are playing tug-of-war with her soul. She loves God, but it's becoming more and more clear that if she makes the real commitment to God that the Bible requires, she's facing potential loneliness and ridicule in a world that is stacked against her. She'd like the best of both worlds, the earthly one and the heavenly one, but it's becoming increasingly clear that you can't have all of both. And decision time is coming and it's scary. Can God please guarantee that it won't be too painful if she goes all in in her commitment to him? And she needs God's consolation to wrap his arms around her as she chooses to follow Jesus. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It would be wonderful if we could say that You just become a Christian and all your wishes and dreams and hopes would come true and there's never any pain. You won't even stub your toe if you become a Christian. Not true. Consolation of Israel, the comfort, is vital for us. We need something outside of ourselves. We need the tender, loving heart of God to comfort us and to comfort those whom we love. The good news this morning, Christian, is that you are not inconsolable. It might feel like it, but there is consolation. And there is a God who will run to you to envelop you and console you. You are not beyond comfort. You're not beyond consolation in this world. This morning and for the next two weeks, uh, our Christmas Advent series, if you will, will be three passages uh, from Isaiah that point to Jesus as the consolation, not just of Israel or his Israel, but light for the world. God's people in Isaiah 40 that we read, needed comfort. God's people have always needed comfort. You need consolation and comfort. So listen, listen. Four observations from this text. Uh, I read, read a few 
various commentators on this. It was very good. Uh, uh, I'm going to give credit to one guy. Didn't even write his name down. He's an Australian professor of Old Testament studies from Sydney, Australia. And I said, I really like this guy. I like what he did with the text. I like how that... So with other voices helping, with prayers, with scripture, um, do you want to give, give credit to that man? He, he drew out these four things from this text that uh, are coming from the text for God's people, and they apply to us. They apply to us. So listen to them. The first one is this. They are God's people. You are God's people. There's a possessive pronoun there. Not comfort those people, God said. He said comfort my people. There's a possessive pronoun. God saved you to be a people of his own possession, the scripture says. You belong to God. You are not your own. You are bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Say, how can these people be God's people? If you read Isaiah, and they they break this down, some people go so far as to say, well, Isaiah wasn't the writer of Isaiah. There was Isaiah, then there was Deutero-Isaiah. They try and sound smart, like the second Isaiah. There were all these various Isaiahs, and there were various writers and people. Um, You know, I don't, I don't agree with that, to be honest. Um, I, I'm not going to fight, fight, fight over that unless you start to then uh, denigrate the text. But here's Isaiah writing to a, a people, and, and 1 through 39, there's a clear break, just like there's a break in a movie where the, there's a famous scene and it turns things. And God's people were in rebellion against God. They were taken into exile They were consequences for their sins. And there they were. And God says to Isaiah, now I want to talk about the hope where things turn. In spite of their sins, in spite of the disasters that came upon them, the covenant that God made with their ancestors still stands. And God was not indifferent to their situation. And all through the first portion of Isaiah, where there is also promise of the Messiah to come, God says, okay, Isaiah, now give these people comfort with these words. And it just like bursts on the scene if you read through this great book. You might have sinned against God. You might be way on the outside uh, as a result of your own running from God. But God says, you're still my people. If you're my people, you're my people. Possessive pronoun. You are God's possession. You may not feel like it when you've just finished some sinning spree that may have lasted an hour or a month or a decade. You may not say, I don't feel like God's, I don't feel like God's person. How could God say, "How, how could he even want me? Your feelings are not uh, the final arbiter in this. God's love, God's desire, God's plan, God's purpose. God is the arbiter of this. And he says, my people. And if you've repented and placed your faith in Jesus, you are God's people. Uh, I, some, 
somebody refers to themselves as a messy Christian, well, they're being honest. Aren't we all? Yes, there are consequences for our sins. Sometimes these consequences are disastrous on this earth. It does not change the fact. God says, comfort my people. Romans 10, 13. Here's the covenant God made with you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be. Joel 2, 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Titus 2.14, back to the New Testament. Talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. God is not indifferent to your situation, whatever that situation may be. And we've all lived periods in our life where it could be described as the good, the bad, or the ugly. And, and, And it's a mixture of all. God is not indifferent. He says, my people. You're a Christian? He's looking, he's going... That's my daughter. That's my son. My. Uh, Latch on to that personal pronoun. Not in fear, but in delight. God will call you mine. Something else about these people. God's people. Second point of the sermon. They are forgiven. God's people here in Isaiah are forgiven. You are forgiven. Verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Church in Isaiah, it was paid in full. The warfare was ended. Now, I stumbled a little bit and struggled about she has paid double for all her sins. And my Greek, which isn't particularly strong, is still stronger than my Hebrew from those days. Uh, but I know where to look. And I know who to read. And, 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 and I've got a plan, New Year's Day plan. Two minutes a day in Greek, two minutes a day in Hebrew, building on that, and, and you guys hold me accountable. Please help me. Uh, I'm going to get that Hebrew back up to, to all those things I memorized back in the day. But here's what the Hebrew guy says. He says that phrase, she's paid double for all her sins, that's not like a mathematical equation like we would say. The translation, it's a good translation. It's the best they can do. But it's more like saying, a guy says, I paid my dues. Got to pay your dues if you want to sing the blues, right? And don't come easy. As they say, paying your dues. You paid your dues back there. Uh, I've paid my She's paid her dues. She's been through the ringer. But now the prison door is open. She can go. There's no guards there to shoot her as she leaves. She's free. 
after 50 to 70 years in exile. Uh, Only 50 to 70 years based on generation and generation and generation and generation of rebellion. It's a light sentence even, even at that. Isaiah is going to get into, as God reveals to him, he's going to get into this mystery of forgiveness. Each week, uh, I might vary one of the scriptures we use at the table, but I always come back to because I want us, when we're old and, and, and dementia-ridden in our, in our uh, places where we end out our lives, I want us to remember that Isaiah 53. I want us to have heard it. I want every kid to have said, I don't even know when I memorized that, but I guess it was that pastor that said that every single week about all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's where Isaiah 40 is getting as God gives this word. And it's going to be revealed more and more. Forgiveness for these people. Forgiveness for you, Christian. Jesus died on the cross. Uh, we don't know everything that Jesus said on the cross. We have we say the seven last words. Well, they're technically the seven last words that God chose to record into Scripture for us. And, and so they are Scripture. We know for a fact those things were said. One of those things Jesus said is, it is finished, or the Greek word tetelestai, paid in full. Those people in Isaiah, God's people, forgiven. You, here, God's people, forgiven, paid in full. It's over. Your warfare with sin, uh, as far as sin being something that can drag you and, and pull you down to hell, is done. We have the skirmishes. We have, have our, our, our sin is so powerful. We have our battles with it. And we, we get our forgiveness and we come and confess it. But it's done. It's like a credit report. Worst being zero. Highest credit. I read this, and it probably different credit companies do it different. 850. You know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to not run up this debt. I'm trying to pay this off. This bill gets paid, and my credit score goes up, and they've got us all working on credit scores and all that. Do you know what it's like spiritually? Your spiritual, quote unquote, credit score? You're either zero or you're 850, and that's it. You either have no credit with God because you're trying to live in yourself and your sins are piling up, or it is paid in full and everything's paid and it's a perfect record of 850. You're zero or 850 as a Christian or as a non-Christian, as a person. You're zero or 850. And the question would be, which are you? Which do you want to be? I want to be 850. Well, how does that happen? Jesus takes all my debt on him. Even if you think you're running up debt, check your score. Still a perfect 850. Your name written down as a forgiven person. The Bible talks about something called the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in the book? There's a book, the Bible says. There's a a record keeping. And your name is there if you're a Christian. Those Baptist churches in Iowa, we used to sing, is my name written there on that page white and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? Here's the deal. If your name's written there, it's in permanent ink. 
and it's there in heaven, and you can't go in and erase it, and nobody can cover it up or, or, or forge it or anything. It's there. And it's free. Comfort my people. Their sins are forgiven. And just because from time to time, all of us have a hard time believing that it can even be true doesn't mean it's not true. To co-opt a a popular phrase in, in political culture, God's facts don't care about your feelings. The book the men's group is reading, we handed it out to so many people, and uh, this chapter this week was so good, I think, for, for all of us, almost all of us, maybe every single one of us. Uh, there's that passage in Isaiah, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. And we think, well, yeah, that means God's like superior in all of his unworkings. God moves in mysterious ways. It's not talking about that in that passage. It's talking specifically about God's willingness to pardon and to forgive where our thoughts are not to do that, to hit a wall, limits to love. God says, my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts that, that, that I don't have a limit to my pardoning, loving forgiveness. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. That's where this is leading in this text. The only other place that's used in Scripture is Psalm 103, verse 11, about the heavens, as the heavens are higher above the earth. And that's talking about the same thing. God's love. So those two things so far. You are God's people. You are God's forgiven people. Next, God will act to give concrete expression to the fact that he has forgiven them. You say, you're forgiven, now you're going to stay in exile? No, you're forgiven. Knock down these mountains. Build up these valleys. Tunnel through these granite places. Let's get this road built. Let's make it. Because I'm going and I'm bringing my people with me. That's what he said. Every valley, every mountain, he will act. He will bring his people back to their home from their exile. There's a way back. It involves a super highway that God has built. He's going to take them. Their way is his way, and he's the leader. The end of this section, it talked in verses 9 and 10 about God being the king with the power to deliver them. Listen to this. It says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, lift up your voice. Say, behold your God, because God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He is a strong God. He's not just a God that says, when I can save up enough resources, when I can add up enough tokens, when uh, the retirement check comes in, when my inheritance comes, uh, when I can get these people to go along with it. No, he's the God who's going to do it. He's God, and he's God. God, God, God. God can do what God wants to do. And this is what God wants to do. But it also says about him, the very next verse, he's a loving, tender God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. 
He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom. And those of you who are parents of young kids, does he have a place for parents with young kids? He'll gently lead those that are with young. He's God. He's good, strong, powerful, and you don't want to oppose him. But he's gentle and kind and loving and shepherding and caring about the people in his flock. And that's why he can even say, comfort, comfort my people. That's why even Jesus' coming is described as the consolation of Israel. He's going to take them on that path for you. What does happen to God's people who are forgiven, whose sin has been paid? Here's what happens. God leads you with power and tenderness along the superhighway to your heavenly home. Your home on high, where you are walking, where he is leading you. The world sees this and the world glorifies God. It says, uh, look at this, it says, uh, every valley lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, uneven become level, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Is God able to overcome every obstacle for you, between you and your Eternal existence in your home on high. Yes, he is. Will God bring you safely home? Remember, he said he would. Will he? Yes, he will. When Isaiah tells us that Christ, our shepherd, will gather the lambs in his arms, how do we respond? Well, I'm running to his arms. I can't wait for him to pick me up. And carry me. This Australian guy pointed this out. He said, a note is struck here, which will, recur, which will recur more and more clearly as the book moves toward its climax. As Isaiah goes on and on, uh, here's the first note struck. And he says this, the Lord is a missionary God. What he does for his own, he does not for their sake alone, but that all may come to know him. Didn't Jesus say, even as we live as Christians, uh, let your light shine before people in such a way they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven? This is classic win-win. God, glory wins. And those who are God's people, if you want to use the term win, we win. Be prepared for God to be glorified in you. In your perseverance in the way he delivers. You be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that's in you as you live and you walk through. And God will be glorified in that. You've been a sojourner. You've been in exile. And you're on your way home. It's like driving, driving, driving. And grandma's house, the GPS says grandma's house is 45 minutes away. And you're not going to stop at some hotel. You're going to get there because there's a cup of coffee and there's a slice of pie and there's a warm blanket and a pillow that you slept in when you were a kid and it's like home and you're going to get to home and somebody's going to be happy to see you. That's us walking on our way to heaven, living on our way to heaven. Good times, bad times. Oh no, there's a detour. It's going to take more than 45 minutes. 
Her place didn't move. We're still getting there. It might take a little longer. Fine. We're going home. You're going home. You are loved by your God, possessive pronoun. Your God, you are forgiven. And he will deliver you as he said he would. Prepare a way. God's left the light on for you on the porch of heaven. And you can maybe see it through the fog as you get closer and closer. And that's where your loved ones already are and they're waiting for you too. And that's what God does for his people, his forgiven people. Final. God's word can be relied on by all his people, including you. Uh, A voice, verses 6 through 8, a voice says, cry. I said, Isaiah goes, what shall I cry? Here's what you cry, Isaiah. You cry this, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. That's good. People are good. Man, there's a lot of interesting people, cool people. Uh, there's people who want our attention. Well, I want to look clickety-clickety-clickety-click and see what this person's doing and read this human interest story and be aghast at that, and they're all vying for it. You know what? There's all these people. Its beauty is like the flower of the field, but the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Olivia de Havilland was beautiful. Not so much right now and wherever she's buried. I watched a movie with her in it the other day. That's why she came to mind. <laughs> Nothing else about Olivia de Havilland but that. But all these people that were the glamorous people of their day. You. Oh, boy. I'm going to make my own brand. I'm going to build my own brand. How long is that going to last? Well, maybe, maybe more than the 15 minutes of fame that, uh, that, that somebody else has. Maybe you get 16 minutes. Or maybe you get 55 minutes. But in the end, you're done. What lasts forever? What can be counted on? What can be counted on? God's word lasts forever. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And God's people who needed their comfort, who needed their comfort, got their comfort, and the basis of that was the word of God. It wasn't even Isaiah. He was the mouthpiece. He was giving God's word. God's people don't look for fellow humans to be God for them. People die out. Kingdoms come and go. Parents uh, who have a somewhat godlike role in their children's lives when they're little and, and that they provide for them and they look out for them and they advocate for them. In the end, uh, kids grow up and realize their parents don't have unlimited resources. Parents are not God. Church denominations are not God. All flesh is grass. God's word is what stands. Even some of our celebrity pastors and theologians interpreting God's word are but grass. It's like the difference between listening. Uh, Some guy named uh, George Frederick Handel writes this beautiful piece of music called Messiah. 
And he takes these scriptures and you can sit and, and, and listen to it. And you can hear Handel's vision for that. Or you can buy the highlights of it and you can hear uh, Joan Sutherland or, or Pavarotti sing the highlights. You can hear the people clapping as they hold the notes and all that. And even the voices uh, that are beautiful voices can distract if it's packaged only as them and the focus on them singing it as opposed to the work itself. God's word is what matters. Practical application to this point. Immerse yourself in God's word. Will God's word be read, sung, preached, talked about in church and Sunday school? Uh, Then I would say get to church. That's one thing to do. Hear God's word. Interact with God's word. Uh, Look at it. Read it. Do you have a reliable translation of God's word in your language available to you? then blow the dust off of it or pull it out or, or, or keep it right there where you've always kept it. It's it, uh, there accessible and keep reading it. Keep reading it or start reading it wherever you're at in life with, with yours. But the word of God. Are there reliable translations available on audio? And do you have ears to hear? And do you listen to things during the day? Well, maybe find one of those. Some people find that's even better for them than actually looking at it. Some people uh, benefit from the audio, but God's word, God's word stands. That's the only thing. That's what he said. So these four points as we wrap this up. Personal pronoun. God said you are my people. God said you are my forgiven people. And as a result of you being my forgiven people, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be your leader and your shepherd who brings you to the place where you uh, belong, to your heavenly home. And this is all provable not by what human beings say, but by God's word. That's what lasts. Those of you who have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus' work on your behalf on the cross are God's people. It was his love for you that drove him to you, rescued you, and will deliver you safely to your home. You are a Christian, and it will end for you exactly like he promised you, in spite of you and everything else. Somebody wrote, They were making available the dreams of the past, for a limited time while supplies last. I got in line and I paid the man my cash. I was buying fake diamonds. I was buying fool's gold. And I kept them in a sack shot full of holes in this land of plenty with an empty soul. Chorus. No mountain too high. There's no ocean too deep. No castle too strong. There's no lock that'll keep. No river too wide, there's no ocean too broad, there's no stone you can't break, God. No heart that's too hard. Described his life, from parting shots to parting the seas, from stabs in the back to turning the cheek, opening cells and throwing away the key. 
and I distinguish a voice that I hear in the wind like a radio station not quite locked in, once a whisper, and now as loud as a scream. He goes on to say, you're the judge, and you're the law. You became the criminal in place of us all. Your father and mother and sister and brother and friend. You say, give me your sickness, give me your pain, your empty cup, and I'll fill it again. Why on earth are you digging your own grave? And he goes on to repeat, there's no mountain, there's no ocean, there's no castle, there's no lock that can keep God out from you, his people, who he has forgiven and who he loves. There's no heart that's too hard. The song was called Offer. That's God's offer. I'd say take that offer. Respond to that offer. Uh, this is what you were born for. To be right with God. To have your sins forgiven. To know where you're going. And to glorify God with your life as, as he shines that light to everybody else. That's the point And everything else is just wasted. And it's eternal darkness on the other side of life. Comfort. Comfort ye my people, says God. And he comes in your hurtness, in your hardness. And he wraps his arms around to give you consolation. Who is the consolation of Israel and the light for the Gentiles? Jesus Christ. Let's pray and go to his table. And, 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 and those of us who've received that offer uh, can partake and, and, and be strengthened there. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the personal pronoun. Thank you that you have us as a, a people for your own possession. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. We, we don't forgive each other the way you forgive us. Help us to learn, Lord, but... Thank you for forgiveness and help us to see how great that is.